Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. Really glad that you can be with us today, too. Uh, you know, there was a pastor who assured his congregation that he deeply cared for them, and in fact, that they could reach out to him anytime, night or day, and he was available to them because he loved them. Pretty good guy, right? Well, uh, that night, he got a phone call at three in the morning, and he answered the phone, and uh, on the other end of the line was a really sweet older lady, and she said uh, to him, Pastor, I can't sleep. He said, kind of half asleep, trying to get his wits about him, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, and he said, what, what, can, what, what can I do to help? And she said, just very sweetly, Pastor, would you just preach to me for a while? <laughs> Wait for it, you get it? You know, today we're talking about uh, leadership in the church. And if you look at the passage for today, you might look at it and think, man, I'm not an elder. I'm not a leader. I, what does this have to do with me? And you might just kind of decide you're going to fall asleep. But let me encourage you, stick with us, because the principles that Peter lays out here for leaders in the church really apply to leadership in, in any area of life. They apply to all of us in the home, in the workplace, uh, as I mentioned during the other service, coaching t-ball, whatever that is, if you're leading in some way, shape, or form, and there's people under your care, uh, these principles really will apply to your life and how you go about that as well. So, so don't don't sleep on me today. Sound good? All right. Hey, with that, though, let me pray. And then we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5. We're kind of starting to wind down our series in 1 Peter. And Peter's starting to wind up his, his letter. And uh, we're going to pray, unpack those first five verses of chapter 5. And uh, we'll go from there. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us through him. And, and Jesus, thank you for your example as you lead and shepherd and care for us, would you, would you help all of us to, uh, to follow your example, to follow your lead, to be like you in that? Holy Spirit, I pray uh, that you'd fill me and uh, use me this morning. Let my words be your own and uh, faithful to the text. And uh, for each of us, Holy Spirit, might we leave changed uh, to, to lead in the arenas you've given us to lead well and uh, to do so as Jesus would. And Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're not familiar with the Bible, 1 Peter would be towards the end. And uh, if you can't find it, you can follow along on screen behind me here. Uh, Peter writes this. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, then, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's the word of the Lord. And uh, Peter here, in, these first, in this first verse of chapter 5, really discloses more about himself than he does anywhere else in this letter. We learn more about Peter from Peter in this verse than we did anywhere else in 1 Peter. Uh, notice what he says. At first he says he's a fellow elder and a, a witness of Jesus' suffering. Well, uh, referring to himself as an elder is referring to himself as a leader in the church, an overseer or a pastor. Those words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, elder, overseer, pastor. And he's writing these things and he's, he, he reveals that he is an elder. Um, 
He, he says it too. Uh, he starts off so in light of, in other words, in light of everything we've been talking about over the last few weeks about serving, using our gifts, thinking clearly like Jesus, enduring suffering. Now, Peter's now turning his attention specifically to the leaders of the church he's writing to, and he exhorts them in a strong way. But notice how he describes himself first as an elder. And uh, right away, we kind of see, I said we're going to be talking about leadership today. He kind of gives a good principle of leadership right away here in this first verse. Notice he says he's a fellow elder. You know, Peter's an apostle. He could have said as an apostle, as one with just great authority, pay attention to what I'm saying. But he says, no, as a fellow elder, as one of you to the leaders he's writing to, he's saying, I'm like you. I get it. I know the struggles that you have. I know the responsibilities that you carry. I know the burdens that are on your heart. Like, I'm with you. I'm beside you. I'm going through this too. And, you know, he really demonstrates a, a key aspect of leadership just kind of right off the top that uh, leading people... Uh, is a lot more effective alongside someone than it is over and above and kind of domineering over someone, isn't it? And we see that right away here from Peter. He's just, he comes along you in a, I'm, I'm with you in this, I'm for you sort of way. Well, the other things we learn about Peter here, uh, not only his humility as he leads, but uh, notice he, he saw Jesus suffer. He said, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, if you know your New Testament, you know a little bit about uh, the Passion Week and Jesus' crucifixion. You might be thinking, uh, did, did Peter see Jesus die on the cross? I thought Peter like cowered in fear and ran away and he was scared of like that middle school girl, wasn't he? <clears throat> well, uh, even if he didn't see Jesus die on the cross, he did see Jesus suffer all throughout his ministry. Remember, Peter was a good friend of Jesus. He was with him all the time, one of his kind of inner circle. And consider here even just some of the ways that Peter saw Jesus suffer. He saw the tide of popular support that Jesus had in his first year or so of ministry, uh, where people were just coming in droves to him. He saw that totally change. He saw how Jesus' ministry alienated him from his earthly family when his Mother and brothers thought maybe he had just gone too far and was going crazy. He saw how the Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus' claims. He knew of, of plots that were there against Jesus. He ate the last Passover meal with Jesus. He saw his agony in the garden as he prayed hours before his crucifixion. And he was there in the garden when Judas betrayed him. He saw his friend Jesus get arrested and let off like a criminal. He witnessed him being questioned by the high priest, which would lead to his execution. Peter, Peter saw a lot of Jesus' suffering. He saw his friend suffer. He says, I'm a, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. But notice, not only that, he said, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. You know, not only did Peter get to see Jesus suffer, he also got to see Jesus in a way that we will someday in his glory. You know, there's an account in Matthew chapter 17. You can go read it if you want to later. We're not going to read it now. But Jesus takes that inner circle of Peter, James, and John, and they go up the mountain. And when they get there, uh, Jesus is transfigured. This is called the transfiguration where his glory of who he is as God is revealed to them. And in fact, God the Father speaks and he says, this is my son, pay attention to him, with him I'm well pleased. And, and I'd encourage you to go read about that. Peter saw that. In fact, if you get your Bible open, flip over a page to the next letter of Peter, Peter, 2 Peter, and uh, look in verse 16 of chapter one. Peter writes about that event in more detail. He says, for we didn't follow cruelly, or cruelly, cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's like, I saw his glory. 
I saw him suffer, but I also saw his glory. And throughout his letter, Peter's been saying, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can expect to share in his suffering, but you can also expect one day to share in his glory. And so Peter kind of frames what he's about to tell us in terms of leadership and and to elders in the church. He frames it in light of the fact that, you know what, as you follow Jesus, you might suffer now, but it's a short time and one day you're going to share in his glory. And Peter's like, listen, I saw his suffering and I saw his glory. The glory's awesome. You can make it. You can do it. That's, that's kind of what he says. And so he says then in verse one, I exhort the elders among you. To exhort means like just to strongly encourage. He says, as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings, as well as the, a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. He goes on and then he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Peter tells us right off the bat, shepherd the flock, think like a shepherd. Think like a shepherd. Now, I just mentioned Peter said he was writing to the elders, right? And so before you check out, if you're like, I'm not an elder, I don't have any desire to be, I'm never going to be, think for a moment about the context of when Peter's writing. Where did these churches meet? Did they have a big building like we do? No. They met in people's homes. It was a small group of people. In fact, uh, uh, they did so probably secretly to avoid persecution and so when Peter writes to the elders, he's, he's writing sometimes to one person among them, like a, maybe a, a head of a household, to common people, but everybody there is hearing it, everybody in the house. And so there's a certain sense where these are normal people who some of them are serving in leadership, but all of these principles apply then to all of us, no matter where you're leading. Whether it's in a house church or a large church or medium-sized church or corporate America or in a school or uh, in your home with your family or coaching a t-ball team or a little league team, whatever it is, listen, uh, these principles, he's writing specifically to leaders in the church, but he's kind of writing to families and he's writing to to you and to me saying, uh, listen, in God's economy, these things work in whatever arena of leadership you have. So, So don't check out. This is for all of us. And he tells us, think like a shepherd. Think like a shepherd. Now, in in Peter's day, they knew a lot of shepherds. That was a pretty common occupation. How many of you, though, have ever been a shepherd? I mean, like literally a shepherd where you walk around with a staff and some sheep. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. I don't know the first thing about being a, a shepherd and leading sheep around and feeding them and caring for them. So... How, to understand this, then I have to get into the mindset of somebody who does know that. And so let me just tell you, they would have understood right away that a good shepherd, a good overseer is somebody who um, thinks a lot more about the sheep than they do themselves. They think a lot more about the sheep than they do about themselves. And, and a good shepherd, what they do for the sheep is they do kind of three primary things. They, uh, they protect the sheep, they provide for the sheep, and they guide the sheep. Do you know why? Because sheep are stupid. <laughs> they are. They are. That's what, that's what I've learned. They're, they're stupid. They're just not very smart. They have to be protected from enemies, from wolves that would come and, and eat them up and destroy them. They don't maybe even necessarily know what to do when that happens or where to run. So they need protection. They're not strong enough. They they need somebody to provide for them. I mean, when they're wandering around in uh, the desert, the Judean desert in in this area, it's just a dry, arid place. Uh, If if somebody's not there to provide for them and provide food for them, they're going to starve to death. And somebody needs to guide them, needs to guide them from a place where maybe all the food's eaten up to a place where there's greener pastures, where they can eat and be fed. Well, um, you know, Jesus said this about being a shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, I mentioned that sheep are stupid. Well, guess what the Bible calls all of us? Sheep. (laughs) 
And so what do we all need? We need a shepherd, don't we? We need somebody to protect us. We need somebody to provide for us and to guide us. And, and that's Jesus. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And in this passage I read to you, that was from John chapter 10, verses 11 and 13, through 13. Uh, that's noted there on your message notes. But um, he, he says this, and then he says, um, as a good shepherd, I, I really care about the sheep I'm leading because, um, you know, shepherding as an occupation in that day, the shepherd usually owned their sheep a lot of times. They had a vested interest in them. They cared for them. But occasionally, maybe they would hire somebody in so they could have a break and somebody would care for the sheep for them for a wage, right? And uh, when that would happen, Jesus actually compares himself as a good shepherd to a hired hand who might come in. And the investment there, he says, he who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, he doesn't protect. He, he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. See, Jesus, though, he says he's a good shepherd. And to think like a shepherd means that we need to think about the people who are under our care. We need to think about the people that we're leading in whatever arena of life that is, right? If it's in your home, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you, uh, if you teach at a school, if, if you lead in a business, if coach a t-ball team, whatever that is. You, you need to think about the people you're leading and, and care for them. <clears throat> think like a shepherd would, not like a hired hand. You know, uh, one of the best examples of this, of God as our shepherd, that we see is in some poetry in the Old Testament, in Psalm 23. And this psalm, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've you're familiar with this. If you haven't been a Christian or you're unfamiliar, you're just kind of checking some of this stuff out, you maybe have still even heard this psalm because it's so crept its way into our culture. It's so comforting for so many people to, to know there's somebody to protect and provide and guide them. Let me read this. I'm going to read from the uh, Christian Standard Bible translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. A good shepherd provides, right? He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you're with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me, he protects you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithfulness and love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. You've maybe memorized it. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all throughout that psalm, we see God protecting us as he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. We see him providing for us as he gives us quiet waters to drink from and we see him guiding us. It's comforting, isn't it? Peter says, hey, if you're, if you're gonna lead, especially if you're gonna lead in the church, you gotta think like a shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Well, uh, just briefly here, I wanna share a few principles about leading like a shepherd. And this actually comes from a book from a, a pastor by the name of Larry Osborne. And uh, he's actually a free church pastor out in California. And he has a book called Lead Like a Shepherd. I'd commend it to you. It's a good book. And it's just good for leadership in general, not just in the church. And a couple of the things uh, he mentions about leading like a shepherd, I just want to share a few of them with you. I don't, won't have them on the screen, but you can jot them down. Uh, one, he says, uh, it's always about the sheep, not me. If I'm going to think like a shepherd... It's about the sheep, it's not about me. Because if it's about me, then I really don't care about who I'm leading and I run over people and I domineer over them and I, I, I hurt people. If I'm gonna really lead like a shepherd, I've gotta think about the sheep and sacrifice for them and serve them. Would you agree that that translates really into any area of leadership? That to lead well means to care deeply about the people you're leading whether that's a classroom or an 
athletic team or a boardroom, whatever that is. We need to think about and care about the people we're leading, not just ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you work yourself so hard that you just burn yourself out, right? That you don't care at all about yourself because that's not healthy either. There is, there is an amount of self-care that's good for you to care about yourself and to grow. And, um, but you do that, why? So that you can continue to serve. Not to make it about you, but so that you can continue to serve. So it's about the sheep and not you. Here's the second principle he writes about. He says that as a shepherd, I'm going to be willing to be misunderstood if I'm going to think like a shepherd and lead like one. You know, um, would you agree sometimes uh, when you lead, people you're leading don't always understand the decisions you make or maybe where you're leading them? Um, Parents, you ever seen this with your kids? Right? Uh, when, When you tell them that they need to be to bed at a certain time, do they always understand that? No, they don't. When you tell them they need to brush their teeth, do they get it? No, they don't, but they will someday. And you've got to be willing as you lead and as you shepherd to be misunderstood sometimes. Because maybe there's something you know that they don't know, but you still, again, you love them and care for them. You know, we see this in Psalm 23. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 23. Uh, the psalmist writes, David says, uh, even when I go through the darkest valley, he, as a shepherd, he puts himself, David was a shepherd, he puts himself in the place of a sheep. And imagine what that might have been like for a sheep who, who are often timid and scared to, to have to go through a dark valley. What's their shepherd thinking? Why are you leading us here? This doesn't look safe. This doesn't look good. Why aren't we up there where it's safe and where it's good? We don't realize the shepherd is leading them there, but a sheep can't climb a sheer cliff. (laughs) You gotta take them the long way through the valley and around the mountain and get there. And in a certain sense, notice that the shepherd is still leading David. The shepherd, God is still leading us. And even though he might lead us through a dark valley, Even though we might not understand him, he's willing to be misunderstood uh, so that we would trust him through it. And if you're going to think like a shepherd, you have to be willing sometimes to be misunderstood even as you lead. Uh, Third principle he 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 writes about is uh, being willing to adapt to their limitations. If I'm going to think like a shepherd and lead like one, I've got to adapt to the limitations of the sheep, of the people I'm leading Now, uh, this shows up in Psalm 23 too. Look back at verse two. Notice about the sheep, it says that uh, he lets me lie down in green pastures. Your translation might say he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, how many of you, if you were out camping and you needed to get some water to drink, how many of you would get it out of an old stagnant puddle, quiet waters? Anybody? You might end up kind of sick the next morning right? You know, that's not, the, that's not the best water to drink. You want the flowing fresh water, right? That's the good stuff. But, you know, sheep are terrified of running water. So even as a leader of the sheep, you might think, why do you want that? Look at this. Come get this. You need to have this. Let me shove you in the water. You could really do some damage to those sheep. You'd terrify them. And so a good shepherd doesn't lead them into the rushing water. leads them to the quiet water where adapting to their limitations where they feel safe and they can drink. Sometimes maybe even damming up the rushing water so that it would create a small pocket of still water for them to drink from. You know, this applies to leading in life too, right? Whoever you're leading. I mentioned, I've, uh, or maybe I didn't mention it yet, but I, I, I'm going to be coaching Charlie's t-ball team again this summer. And as a t-ball coach, you know, I might have some expectations for how I want them to throw the ball and catch the ball and hit the ball. And those expectations might be over here, but guess what happens as soon as you start playing t-ball with little kids? You realize that they're never going to meet those expectations I have for them to throw and catch and hit. In fact, if they throw, if they catch, if they hit, that's a victory. <laughs> Let alone the way they're supposed to, you know, and have their, their butt down and get in front of the ball and knock it down. Like if, if any of those things even happen, that's a victory. But as I'm leading then, I've got to adapt as I, I cheer them on and care for them and recognize too, like when I talk to them, 
I can't expect to have every one of their eyes on me. They're five, they're four, six years old. I'm not gonna have that. I've got to adapt to their limitations. And here's what happens then, and this is what Osborne writes about when I, when I lead, either um, I might have these great expectations over here that aren't necessarily bad, they're good as a leader, but here's maybe the limitations of the people I'm leading, and one of the two has to be torn down to move forward. I either have to tear down my expectations and adapt and love people, or what the other thing that's gonna happen if I don't do that, I'm gonna end up tearing down the people that I'm trying to lead. Tearing down the kids, tearing down my spouse, tearing down my coworkers. Sometimes as a good shepherd, to think like a shepherd, to lead like them is to adapt to others' limitations, isn't it? And you know, Jesus does this for us. We have a great high priest who, uh, who knows our weaknesses who's not unable to sympathize with us, but he's been, in, he's been tempted in every way we have. He knows exactly what we're like. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians, we won't be tempted beyond what we can handle. He knows and, and he adapts as he leads us because he loves us. That's good leadership, thinking like a shepherd. Well, uh, we could go on. There's a whole, whole bunch of other examples and I'd, I'd commend that book to you, really practical, easy to read. Um, the long and short, Peter here is telling leaders in the church and all of us as we lead to think like a shepherd. Shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight. And then he gives us some examples of how to do that. And he tells us we ought to think like a shepherd who loves their sheep, who really loves their sheep, loves the people they're leading, cares about them, puts them first, thinks about them more. And here's some ways he says we can, we can do that and love them. Look at uh, the end of verse two. He says, first, not under compulsion, but willingly. Shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight, lead them, but not, not because you feel compelled to in a bad way, but because you want to, willingly. This is how God would have you do it. You know, uh, God is big on, on our heart in our service, Right? He's big on that, that that we lead because we want to, that we serve because we want to, that guilt is a a poor motivator for people. Even when it comes to giving, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says that God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. So if you can't give with cheerfulness, and because you want to, you feel like, oh, they just want more money. No, give because you want to. If you don't want to, don't give. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a a person who serves cheerfully and willingly. And if you're like, I know I ought to, but I don't want to, maybe you need to pray about that, that God would change your heart. And maybe you do just need to kind of step into it and say, Lord, I'm going to do this and change my heart in it so that I can do it willingly and joyfully. And as I've done that, I found him almost every time, to be faithful to change my heart in that, and the, the attitude of my heart. Uh, not only does he say um, to serve willingly, as God would have you, but he says too then, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Does that seem like a weird comparison to you? Shameful gain versus being eager. Well, I think what, what Peter's saying here is, uh, not for shameful gain, like what I can get, but eagerly willing to serve what can I give? Like as a, as a good leader, I want to I I serve in such a way that I'm not always looking at, what am I going to get out of this? Uh, what am I going to get paid? What am, what's the benefit for me? Um, it's, it's what do I have to give? How can I love people? How can I, how can I serve them? How can I be involved in leading them and loving them? Like thinking like a shepherd who loves a sheep. You know, we, we see this in our culture too, not just in the church, right? Obviously, church leaders, we want them to, to not be after dishonest gain, but to serve eagerly, willing to give, not get. But you see this, I mean, think just in our world, right? People in law enforcement, as an example, who, who give of themselves in so many ways to serve, and they don't get a lot in return. Or you could look at people who are 
teachers or in the healthcare industry, or, or there's so many areas of life where that's true, that the best leaders that we look at are people who, who give of themselves and don't just try to get. Those are the leaders we want to follow, too. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of leader I want to be. It's the kind of leader Jesus was. And then uh, Peter tells us as he gets to verse 3, so he says, lead willingly, Think about what you can give, not what you can get. And then in verse three, he says this, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering, but leading by example. Um, You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, he called them together, called the disciples together, and he said, you know, the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But Jesus looks at he says, among you, it'll be different. It's got to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Now this is, this is huge in the church that somebody who's leading is not somebody who domineers over people or takes advantage of people, or is harsh with people, but who leads in a loving way towards people and by example. You know, there's a, there's a leader in the New Testament that gets called out uh, by John in his third letter for leading in the way opposite that Peter says, for leading the way Peter tells us not to, in a domineering way. If you uh, flip forward a few pages in your Bible, you'll come to uh, Third John, First, Second, Third John. You'll find 2 Peter, then 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 3 John, tiny little letter. It's probably one page in your Bible. And in verse 9, John writes this. He says, I've written something to the church, but uh, Diotrephes, here's the guy, Diotrephes, who, who likes to put himself first, he doesn't acknowledge our authority. This is a guy who, who likes to domineer and lord it over people. He got mentioned in the Bible for all the wrong reasons, Right? A joke like, uh, you don't, like you don't want to be on ink-free for the wrong reasons. You don't want to be in the Bible for the wrong reasons either. And that's diatrophies. Look at what it says about him, verse 10. Uh, John writes, he says, so if I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. That's referring to uh, those who are out as missionaries planting churches. He refuses to welcome people. In fact, he, he even stops those who want to from his own church and he puts them out of the church. This is a domineering, mean, wicked man, isn't it? Sounds like it. Peter says that's not how you ought to lead. You think like a shepherd. Love the people under your care. Do it willingly, do it eagerly. And for whatever you do, lead by example, don't domineer it over them. You know, that's the best way to lead, not to lead with an iron fist and say, it's my way or the highway. It's, it's to come alongside people and to love them. General Eisenhower, uh, he, he, he's quoted as saying uh, in a meeting, he would, he would take a string and he would stretch it out on the table. And he would tell those under his leadership and those who would be leading more people, he said, uh, with this string, if I grab it and pull it, I can lead it anywhere I want it to go. Then he pulled it straight again and he said, but if I push it, it really goes nowhere that I want it to go. In the same way as we lead people, he was saying that if we lead them, they'll follow. If we lead them well, they'll follow. But if we're just behind pushing and domineering and, and beating them up with stuff, uh, they'll never do what we want them to do. And, and it's, it's poor leadership and it's ungodly. Peter says, uh, don't domineer over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. Think like a shepherd who loves their sheep. And then Peter tells us, I think, uh, not only just like a shepherd who loves their sheep, but like a shepherd who knows that they themselves are a sheep and they need a shepherd. But, but like somebody who knows that they're a sheep themselves. Look at verse 4. See, it says, Peter writes, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? Who would be the chief shepherd? Jesus, yeah, easy Sunday school answer. When you don't know, just say Jesus. 
It's Jesus. That's him. He's the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor. It's all about Jesus. That's what we like to say, right? And so as, as a leader under him, Peter himself said as a, as a fellow elder, uh, as a pastor, as an overseer, like, I, I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm not the senior pastor of this church. Jesus is. And by the way, when he comes back, when he appears, when the good shepherd, the chief shepherd appears, if you lead like this, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now that might not mean a ton to you and me, but to Peter's audience, it meant the world because they understood this reference to the games in Athens where uh, during these games, you know, the winner of the competition would get uh, this laurel wreath that they could wear on their head. And, you know, eventually though, that thing would wither and harden up and become brittle and, and break, and it would fade. It would fade. It was great for a time, but not, not that endured. And Peter says, listen, one day, uh, if you lead like this, you love people like this, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade. The unfading crown of glory. Other, where, other places in the New Testament we read about the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, that there, there's reward as we share in Jesus' glory when we lead according to the way he calls us to lead, to care for people and love people. And uh, so we got to remember, we're, we're sheep too under a shepherd. And then he says in verse 5, likewise, you who are younger. Now, this might refer to those who are uh, younger in terms of their age. It might refer to younger in terms of their salvation and their spiritual life, younger in their faith. But he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Submit to them. Uh, honor them. Follow them where they lead. Especially if they're, they're leading because they care about you and they're, they're not trying to lead you into a place of, of harm. If they are, then yeah, don't follow them. But, but honor them. Be subject to them. In fact, uh, the writer of Hebrews says to do this because those who lead uh, make it a joy for them to serve because they're leading as those who will give an account one day for the ways that they serve. And we're all to be uh, subject to those whom we're under the authority of. And to do this, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, not just those who are younger, but the elders too, everyone. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, humility uh, just really simply means to know your place. To know that maybe in this arena, I'm, I'm leading and God's given me a platform to lead and I'm, I need to think like a shepherd and, and care for the people who I'm leading and love them. And, and then in other arenas and areas of life, I'm, I'm not as much the shepherd as I am the sheep and so I should submit to the, the leadership of those who are over me and make it a joy for them to serve and love them, knowing that in all of it, uh, whether I'm the shepherd or the sheep, I, I'm, I'm submitting to the chief shepherd and that he promises good things as I obey and live life according to his plan. Now, um, as we wrap up this morning, um, you might have some questions. You know, Peter's writing here uh, about, el about leaders, elders in the churches that he's writing to. How does that work at Wawasee? You know, we've had so many uh, new people join us over the last few years, which is a great thing. Um, but you may not, not know unless you've been to a discovery class, and even then you may not know the whole story. But, but what it looks like in terms of, of leadership and eldership here in our church. Uh, first off, that term elder or uh, overseer, pastor, sometimes bishop, uh, in terms of the New Testament, those words are used interchangeably, and they just mean uh, somebody who has oversight and leads and care for and shepherds a, a group of people under them. In fact, the, the English word pastor is a derivation of the word sh to shepherd and to care for and to lead. And so that's what an elder is. They're to lead like Jesus does and to care for people. Now, um, in Peter's day, that would have been somebody just in the home, right? And um, in our day, it looks a little different because we're a much bigger church than any of those that Peter was writing to. And, um, 
And so the principles still apply, though. In 1 Timothy and in Titus, Paul lists out qualifications for elders and spiritual and character qualifications of who they are as, as men and as followers of Jesus. But, uh, and, and by the way, God lays that sort of stuff out, you know, in terms of, of character and uh, indicates that elders are to lead in the church and to exercise oversight like we read. But beyond that, you know, uh, the New Testament doesn't give like an exact form of governance for the church. So you said have elders who lead, love people like Jesus does, and they should be these types of men. And then God doesn't say a whole lot else. Did he forget something? Did he mess that up? Well, do you ever wonder why from church to church sometimes it's different? Well, God didn't, didn't mess anything up. He just recognized every place, I think, is, is different. And that's an that's aspect of just his multifaceted grace of seeing how that gets carried out in different places. And so just wanted to share with you briefly what that looks like here at Wawasee. So really briefly, uh, let me just share this quick before we go into it. Uh, years ago as our church was birthed, and by the way, if you want to know more about this, come to discovery class tonight, five o'clock. We'd love for you to come and join us. Uh, just let us know so uh, we get enough pizza. Uh, we'd love for you to come. But years ago, uh, when our church was started, there were, uh, as they uh, developed leadership, there are two boards of, of leaders. There were deacons, which deacon means servant, and there were elders. And they each cared for different things, but over time, uh, there wasn't always unity among them, and there became some conflict at different times. And I'm not speaking out of school here. I think anybody who was here at the time would tell you that. Um, and so what happened was uh, those boards became kind of merged into one group, and uh, uh, just of, called it the deacon board, uh, leadership board, different, different titles. But the way that functions today is that uh, there's seven guys on that board, and uh, each of them serves a three-year term that they're elected to every fall at our annual meeting. And then they have to take a year off before they're reelected. Well, a number of years ago, we rewrote our bylaws. And we said, you know, uh, this system works. It's, it's going well. But what about guys maybe who are new to our church, who are unknown, or maybe who are a little quieter? And God might be leading in their life, but we wouldn't have any way really to do a really good job of just at getting to know them and bringing them through and discipling them and growing them. And, you know, there's a lot out there that we could benefit from in terms of leadership in our church. How do we foster this and grow this? And so uh, we changed our bylaws. And one of the things that we changed was we were going to move towards something uh, in terms of, of just a board of elders. And uh, we developed a process that I want to share with you. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is you're going to hear more about it this summer because even though it's been a few years since we've written this in, on paper, we're, we're now at a point where we've trained and developed guys where we can start to move into um, actually exercising and, and uh, leading according to this model. So don't be like the lady who called her pastor, needed to fall asleep. Don't fall asleep on me. Stick with me here for a couple minutes. I think this will be helpful for you just knowing a little bit more about our church. Here's what it looks like in terms of becoming a leader or an elder at Wawasee Bible. First off, there's some prerequisites. Prerequisites, that's a big word for me today. Uh, number one, they, they gotta be a Christian, right? Uh, to lead in the church, why, why would you want anybody to, why would you wanna lead if you're not a Christian in the church, first of all? But, but of course, they have to be a Christian. Also, uh, to be an elder in the church, uh, we're convinced God's word says that that office of elder, pastor, overseer is reserved for male leadership and uh, in line with uh, the creation order. Now, every other role of leadership in the church and area of service, I think, is open to women. And, uh, but that specific role of elder, pastor, overseer, uh, we believe to be limited to, uh, to male leadership. Um, at Wawasee, uh, one of the things that we require is that you become a member of the church and that you're a member in good standing for at least a couple of years. Why? Because we want to know that, you know, think about it. Would you put anybody in, the church is a family, would you put anybody in your family in charge of the family who didn't want to commit to be a part of the family? No. So membership is just saying, hey, I'm committing. This is my family. I'm here with it through thick and thin. And so if, if you're going to, if you want to lead, you, gotta, you ought to be committed to the family, right? And so uh, a member for a couple years, so we can get to know them. And then there's some training that they would go through. In the past, we did a, a study on the 
um, a ministry and life and strategy of Jesus. And currently that training is something called AIM that Pastor Dave leads. Happens a couple times a year. The next one will be in the fall. And uh, you can sign up to be part of that. And in fact, even if, if you're not male, if you're not inter- or if you are male, you're not interested in eldership, that class is open to anyone. And it's, it's something uh, that we'd like all of our life group leaders to go through as well. It's just good stuff in terms of leadership within the church and in terms of ministry. Now, we've had a number of guys complete that training, and um, it, it takes a long time. It's a lot of work. And then the next step is to apply. There's a written application for eldership because Paul says, if you desire the office of overseer, desire the office of elder, that's a, that's a noble thing. So we want to foster that into those that God might be working And so you can apply uh, through a written application. Now, you might be looking back at prerequisites and go, hold on, Josh, how about uh, the biblical prerequisites of like character and all that good stuff? Where's that on the list? Did you just skip over that? No, we didn't. Uh, Because that gets revealed through that application process. That application then goes to a group uh, that's known as the nominating committee. And what the nominating, well, first let me tell you the nominating committee is. First off, it's the lead pastor and the elder chairman, and then three members of our church family. And our goal is to always have at least one, hopefully a couple of those members be women so that they can give their insight and input into this process. And whoever is there, if they're married, their spouses would likely be a part of it as well. But this group, uh, there'll be a new member elected to that committee every annual meeting. Um, They do three things. They receive the applications and review them. Um, then they assess the applicants. So that's where that assessment in terms of character comes in, getting to know them. Do they, do they measure up to what Paul writes about the conduct of an elder? Do they like to quarrel and get into fights? Maybe they ought to work on that. You know, I mean, you, you want to see if they measure up, how they measure up. Talk to their spouse if they're married um, and assess them and then decide after that time to either nominate them to become an elder and to be voted on by the congregation as a whole, the membership to be an elder, or to wait. Nominate or wait. And if it's wait, it's just saying, you know, um, we think you need to grow in some of these areas first. And here's maybe how we can help you grow in those. So maybe God's leading you there, but I think right now the answer is wait, and there's some areas where you need to grow and mature before you're ready for that. And it opens the door to be able to do that with guys in their lives right? That makes sense so far? And then at the annual meeting every year, uh, depending on how big that slate is, uh, we would vote to appoint those guys, got ahead there, to the College of Elders. There'd be a membership vote. Now, when you hear college, college is not saying university, like going to school, right? It's saying it means group like council of elders. You'll see that terminology in the New Testament and a lot of other churches, Council of Elders, Group of Elders, College of Elders. And by the way, before we get into this, that whole process is like a multi-year process. So probably two to three years at least to go through that whole process for a guy. So we're getting to know them. We we know who they are. And then uh, what we're saying here, right now we have seven guys who serve on the board, but what if God has a whole bunch of people in our church who could lead in that way? are qualified in terms of character and that that group could just grow and grow and grow and and ministry could multiply and impact more and more people and we could grow in health and in numbers and wouldn't that be a good thing? We don't limit ourselves. So there's really no limit to how big that college of elders could become according to uh, guys who are qualified and go through that process. Now, with that being said, you might be looking at this going, that sounds like an awful board meeting every month if that group grows to as big as all those dots on the screen, Josh, you're right, it would be. So what what happens then is that out of that group, a minimum of five, potentially more, we didn't put a limit on that in our bylaws, along with the lead pastor, uh, serve as the active governing board of the church, which is what our deacons and elders do now, that board does now. But... um, that would come then from this pool of guys they've gone through training, they've been assessed, they're in agreement with our church, they're committed to our church, committed to you, loving you, thinking of you like a shepherd would, right? All that good stuff. 
And we're saying out of that pool every year, we're going to pull, pull guys to serve on that active governing board. And they serve for a one-year term that's unlimited. They can serve as many consecutive as they like. That, that group can grow or shrink year to year, but that's voted on, approved by the congregation at the annual meeting. The reason for just doing a, you know, like yearly terms is that occasionally there's a group of guys working and there's there's great synergy there, or maybe there's gifting on the board at the time, that active board for whatever's going on in the church of leading. And we don't want to impose artificial limits and have them have to get off when, man, we could really use their leadership right now. At the same time, it gives the opportunity for somebody who's coming in and uh, they realize, you know what, this next year is going to be nuts. Like, um, I'm, I'm changing jobs, uh, we're expecting triplets, whatever that is. I need a break. I can't serve this year. And they can come, come off easily and be replaced by someone else who's qualified. And then a couple times a year, we'll gather that whole group together or in the event of just needing the input of the whole council, the whole college, and keep everyone up to date, pray together, study together, and informed of what's going on in the church. Now, I'm done. Hey, I know that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack briefly on a Sunday morning. But I want you to be aware. And when Peter's talking about elders, I just thought, you know, that's a good opportunity for us to just unpack briefly what that looks like here at Wawasee. And um, you're going to hear more about it over the summer as we get close to our annual meeting. If uh, annual meeting, by the way, the people who vote on that are people who've committed to the family, become members. If you never do, that's okay. But we'd love for you to if you'd like to. And that starts with coming to discovery class. Love for you to come tonight. Um, but anyway, you, you've been patient, sat through a lot this morning. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to call it a morning, send you on your way. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Sound good? All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your leadership as our shepherd. Uh, thank you that you protect us, you provide for us, you guide us, you love us, not as a hired hand, but as somebody who, who willingly serves us, who eagerly gives to us and who leads by example for us. Holy Spirit, would you help us to lead in whatever arena of life, whether that's in the church or in our home or in our workplace, in the same way that Jesus does? And Holy Spirit, would you raise up uh, more and more uh, people in our church to lead and serve in that way. That you might uh, grow your kingdom uh, here through Wawasee Bible in good ways. Father, thanks for Jesus. Uh, help us live like him under his care. It's in his name we pray. Amen.